everyone. Thank you for joining. Today, I'm speaking with Cody Lazar. Cody is an associate professor of geology at California, California State University in San Bernardino. And he's one of 270 faculty members in the California State system that signed an open letter supporting academic freedom and calling out, I guess, what's going on in academia in general, uh, but I guess more specifically California State. Hi, Cody. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, I mentioned this open letter. So, I mean, I, I want to ask what precipitated it, but it's almost like, you know, it's it's, it's everything. You know, that's, that's pretty much blatantly obvious if you even pay the slightest bit of attention. But uh, again, so uh, why did why did you feel that or why did you and the rest of the, you know, the faculty feel that like now you really had to do something? Well, uh, you know, it just, it just, it feels like, um, that it's assumed that everyone's in agreement about certain issues, you know, um, uh, like, um, uh, you know, for example, some of the controversial DEI issues. Um, and I guess I shouldn't say people, it's assumed people, it's just, it's no one ever voices any criticism of anything. And when I say criticism, I just mean like a back and forth um like just even asking questions about about some some things like for example eliminating gre scores gre is the, the yeah. sat for graduate school right mm-hmm. um and but you know i would have these little you know mini conversations with people and, or i could see looks on people's faces and i feel like there's something uh, something at the university in the current moment um is not allowing people to speak up and speak their mind and and talk about things um, you know, fully in the way that, at least in my opinion, should be happening. Um, and so I, I, I had sensed this just in my, in my own experience um, and also just, you know, knowing what's going on in the world um, from, you know, from FIRE and from, you know, Heterodox mm-hmm. Academy and all these organizations and, and Twitter. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I wanted to, I personally wanted to speak up more, um, but I didn't know if I could. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so I think what, what we started doing, um, you know, I started reaching out to people, um, uh, and try to find people who also felt the same way as I did. Um, and it, it seemed to me that, um, you know, uh, and, and so I, I think the, the core of that is just it, the core of what we're doing is trying to organize, to get people, to encourage people to speak up, um, and, uh, when, when they think something should be spoken up about, so. Uh, um to be pessimistic about this like do you think this is kind of shutting the barn door after the horses have like escaped i mean you know this has been building up like you're saying all oh, people are uh, you know not wanting to speak their mind but this has been building up for 20 years now yeah you i think you're correct and i think um I mean, you're correct to be pessimistic in 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 the sense that um, there is a very um, I mean, if you want to look at it democratically, there's a very strong democratic majority at the universities in the administration and in the faculty um, to accept um, a lot of the some of the core tenets of of you know, for example, crit- critical theories um, and um, you know, sort of the, whatever people are calling postmodernist type philosophies and applying them to education. Um, so in, in that way, um, I, I think, 
and when I say a majority of people, I mean, you know, there, I think there are the scholar activists who are very well um, devoted to these kinds of things. And then there's just a vast majority of people who are just fine with it, who maybe they don't, um, they're just okay with it. They don't, they don't really see a problem with it. And so if you, when you combine those two groups of people, it does seem a little pessimistic. Uh, on the other hand, um, what else are we to do, right? Um, we have to try something. Um, and I'm tenured. So at some point, uh, um, I want to, I want to raise my hand in a meeting and I want to say, I think that getting rid of GRE scores is a bad idea. And I want someone to defend the idea that you should do that. And, um, as an example, right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Just want to interrupt one quick second. Like I don't, you know, I applaud any of these efforts that are happening because I know, like in Boston, uh, I think at Harvard, uh, Stephen Pinker was leading something there as well along these lines. And you know, I applaud all this. I'm just, and I'm not saying don't do it or anything. It's just I was just like you. Know, in my mind, it's almost at the point of no return, if not past. Like it's just you know, it's it's just so far gone. Like from what I see, and I'm an outsider looking in. So you know, that's. Well, let me let me give you an example of like something that. Uh, you know, first of all, I want to I want to mention that I have never personally, I'm a geology professor, right? So I'm not in I'm not in sociology or any place that has a lot of scholar activism. Um, although that's changing a little bit in the sciences, which we can talk about later if you want. But um, I've I've never really personally had an interaction with with an activist um, on on a specific issue. Um, mostly, my colleagues are very cool. I like them all. They I think they like me. Um, all everything's very positive, um, and um, so I, I, I do want to sort of give. I want to preface that uh, what I'm uh, of this example I'm about to give you of a situation that it's not nothing hostile is happening. So I think if there's one reason to not be pessimistic is that in in my personal experience with this, at least at least in in the science department, no one no one has screamed at me yet, right? So. And I'm not very confrontational about any of this either. So, but I'll just give you an example of of one thing that happened. Um, you know, going back to the GRE issue, we had um, the our our DEI board wanted us to get rid of the GRE entrance requirement at our university um, for equity reasons. And um, and the the first time that was introduced, uh, our the director of our graduate program um, said exactly that: the DEI board wants us to get rid of it. Um, and so let's do it. And there was really no discussion. This is people just kind of, it was just kind of what I interpreted to be an awkward pause because no one wanted to go against the DEI board um, or they agreed with it or they just didn't care. Right. And so, and, and so what happened was we got rid of the, the GRE requirement for our master's program. Um, and then a, a year later, and this is before I had started helping to organize people to, to get our thoughts together on this. A year later, I, I was like, I, I'm sorry, I just can't, I can't live with this. I think this is a bad idea. So I emailed the department and I said, uh, not, I, I emailed other faculty and I said, at our next meeting, I, I think this was a bad, I think this was a mistake to get rid of this. And I'd like to have a vote um, to not get rid of the GR, GR, the GRE requirement. Um, and, and, and they were like, okay, let's do it. And so next time we came back, we had a discussion. I said what was on my mind. I said, this is a bad idea. We had a vote. It ended up being seven to two, seven people voting uh, against getting rid of the GRE requirement. And we came to a compromise where it became optional, which I think is pretty fashionable now. Um, but the point is, is we, you know, we, I, I challenged 
the idea coming from the DEI board. We had a really nice discussion. Nobody yelled at anybody and it was fine. Um, and I, I think and that, that, that might seem trivial to some people listening in. If you're a professor, maybe people might, that might help professors find voices, especially if they're tenured, but it, it went okay. You know what I mean? And it, it wasn't, um, and, and I, I was fine with the outcome and, and, um, and these little things like that, I think, um, that's how, those are reasons for me to be optimistic that I'm going to say, I'm going to say, speak my mind the next time I might not win every time, but I'm at least going to say something. And I think that with a seven to two vote, I think most people are pretty moderate, even at the university where I think there's a perception. And I think this is real that most people are, are on the, on the political left who are going to be more likely to be sympathetic to some of the, um, the doctrines of, of the scholar activists. Um, I think even in that situation, I think people are, are, are willing to talk about things and, 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 and be moderate if given the opportunity. Okay. On something like that. So, so like, okay. The, yeah. STEM is still a little insulated, but it's getting bad. And we can talk about that. Cause I mean, there's some stuff happening in Montreal that's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, and that's happening in chemistry and physics as well. So, uh, now, but at the same point, the STEM was maybe the last bastion of reason left in the academy. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, the humanities, as far as I'm concerned, there's just, just no point. Like, I wouldn't send anyone to get a humanities degree. I don't think you're going to get anything of any value. Um, you might have one course out of your whole undergraduate study that, you know, you have a decent prof who teaches you something. The rest of it, I think, is just going to be ideological mind-numbing garbage and then it, you know this is someone i went through a poli-sci degree so i saw some of the postmodernism and some of the post-colonialism like in the early 90s i saw some of that in my courses but it was very minuscule right so like now i i hate to see what a poli-sci course is like um but my thing with the stem is this is where i see where i see the big failure of the universities or academia in general you gave phds such value and i'm not trying to denigrate phds i'm trying to denigrate you know people who get doctorates you have to do a lot of work i understand it you know but someone like kendy getting a phd that demeans all phds and what i'm saying is like so when you mentioned okay the dei board came to the geology department and said okay we have to get rid of the gre now you're respecting the dei board because that's a doctorate in sociology we uh, you know focusing on african-american studies or whatever like something like along those lines or you know now university of chicago i think is already put in or is going to be putting in a chair of crt or something like that so you're giving the respect to that phd and saying okay we're geologists that's someone who studies that they have the you know so we can't argue with them on that and i think that was a cop-out and i think that was you know i'm all for academic freedom i'm all for you know, but there's also the rigor. Like, I don't think the rigor was applied to any of this. Because I'm sorry, on the face of it, if you read anything that comes out of the Kendi D'Angelo version of anti-racism, like where a lot of this DEI stuff comes from, it's nonsense. And and there was nothing applied to it. So like I that's one of my big things with academics and academia in general. It's like you allowed this nonsense to happen. I mean, people like Randall Kennedy were speaking out against CRT in the early nineties and they were pretty much ignored. There's, you know, a few others. There were 
you know, Jonathan Rauch's book, uh, Kindly Inquisitors, talking about what was going on in universities in like the late eighties, early nineties, it, it it was allowed to fester and go on. Like it just people buried their heads in the sands. Oh, these have they have PhDs, so they must know what they're talking about. That's what gets me. It's like, yeah, STEM is safe now, but what happens when the crop of students coming out get social justice math and maybe they're gonna get social justice biology and whatever and they're going through university? What happens at that point? Like, you know, it's no longer just coming from administration. It's coming from within the faculty. You know, you really hit the nail on the head, which is the central problem that's going on right now. Um, and I can't wait for the opportunity to talk about colleague, talk about this with my colleagues, because I think mm-hmm. I understand this now from, from reading, from listening, you know, many podcasts, including your own. There is a conflict right now at the universities between the actual purpose and mission of the university. Do we um, create knowledge and and beauty, because let's not forget the arts, um, using the time-honored, well-tested principles of the Enlightenment? Or is the purpose of the university to be an instrument for social activism, for for scholar activism? Um, And this, to me, is something I did not understand um, until starting to get more steeped into this, the 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 PhDs you're talking about, the Kendys of the world, um, they are coming from they are coming from a scholar scholar perspective, uh, a scholar a perspective of scholarship that regards activism um, as the primary goal of of what they're doing. Um, and this sounds it sounds this sounded batshit crazy to me to be honest until i started actually seeing it in print um there's a really great book um called the critical turn in education and it is a it's a um the guy's isaac gotsman i think is his name um and it, it's basically the subtitle is you know um it's something i'm paraphrasing you know the uh, critical scholarship and education from marx to postmodernism to to modern times or something like that. Um, and this is not a, this is not a James Lindsay, Helen Fleckrose publication. This is the real deal. This is a, this is a guy who is one of these professors you're talking about, who has a PhD, who writes books that appear scholarly. But when you read it in the very first paragraph, he talks about the need for radical social change and how is our scholarship helping radical social change? And that right there, um, sums it up for me which is that we have people getting phds who are who are not interested in in the old quote the old antiquated way of of assuming there's a reality and trying to find out about it through the scientific method or or through enlightenment-based scholarship instead they want to they want to use the university they want to use scholarship to advance a, a particular social justice agenda now i mean they're free to do that i suppose i mean i'm not saying they I'm not saying they shouldn't do that, but I am here to say that I think it's a bad idea for the university. I think you would agree with that. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> again, like, you know, I, you know, if you, so if you listen to this, like, you know, I, I was away, I came back in 2014 when I saw this craziness it was around then, like I just started joking around. Cause I'm like left, right, liberal, conservative, just have lost all meaning. They, they, they're valueless terms. Now I just joking around. Like, yeah, I'm an enlightenmentarian. I, I, I support the values of the enlightenment and, put me wherever you want in your goddamn political spectrum. This is what, that's right. This is what I supposed to support. Now, 
And one of the first things I said was, you're going to get overcorrections. I saw what was going on. I said, you're going to get overcorrections. And there were other people, you know, like, I mean, nobody, I was, you know, I, like at that, at that point, I, I didn't even have the, the, the small following I had now. I'd like, you know, I was, I was not someone who spoke up or anything like that, but I saw it and I'm like, this is wrong. And you're going to get the overcorrection. So now when I see people freaking out about, um, okay, so just recently the, quote unquote book banning, right? I'm like, first of all, these aren't banned books per se. They're taken out of curriculum and that's parents and teachers and whatever deciding what's in the curriculum. But two years ago or three years ago when California took out 1984 and To Kill a Mockingbird, and I'm trying to think of a few others out of their curriculum, there was no outcry. There was no, oh my God, they're banning these books. They're taking them out. In 2018, there was a bunch of teachers that were taking out Granted, some of these were old textbooks that were going to be disposed of anyways, but they were taking out others that they said, okay, they weren't out of date. They were just didn't fit the the new, you know, DEI worldview and they, they were being taken out and some of them were being burned in a dumpster. Again, like AP and New York Times, whatever, were defending these teachers. Now, when parents, you know, we can talk about the overcorrections that are happening there as well. Like I believe in Texas, they took out cynical theories like the James Lindsay Helen Pluckers book. So they said, Oh no, this talks about CRT. You can't teach it. And I'm like, if you want to fight CRT, that might be a good book to have, but whatever, you know, like, but I'm sorry, but gender queer does not belong in, it certainly doesn't belong in elementary school. I'd argue whether it belongs in high schools or not either. Um, and so there was someone who just put out a, and just because it just someone put out this report and they, they did a study of all the books that are being ended. And I think it's, and I don't like using the term ban, but whatever it's 1% of districts and 265 of the 5,000 books that were odd, that were being taken out of the curriculum or moved like Angela Gorman's poem, like, you know, book of poetry was moved from, you know, to middle school or something like that. It wasn't even taken out of the library. Um, they were all, they all had sexual and pornographic content. I mean, the others could be, there was a book uh, I'd read about in 2020. It was being taught in kindergartens in Illinois, and then it started spreading to other parts of the uh, the country. Um, It's called Not My Idea. There's a page in that book, and it's a contract to sell your soul, and it's a whiteness, you know, like accepting whiteness is signing a contract to sell your soul. And they were teaching this to kindergarten kids. Now, I'm sorry, but that's that's not appropriate whatsoever. And that should not be in our curriculum. This is not censorship, whatever. You want to go buy that book and give it to your kids, fill your boots. But it shouldn't be taught in public schools. You know, I, like, and if the majority of the parents and teachers think it should, then you should have the right to pull your kids out of that school because that's, you know, I, I'm thinking that's insane. So that's, um, that's my thing with this. It's just like, you're you're going to start you're going to start getting these overcorrections now and you're freaking out. people are freaking out about this but the left did this the left opened up and you know I'm using that term broadly but you know or the woke left opened up that opened up this hole where anyone who wants now I mean I, I keep thinking back to uh Hitchens he used to talk about um a man for all seasons and he's talking about Roper, who, you know, he said he all burned down every single law in England to catch the devil. And then Thomas More turns around, like, goes, what are you going to do when the devil turns around to face you? You know, like, you've got no laws to protect yourself. And I'm like, you've worn away, like, uh, again, I'm not when I say you, but like, you know, the woke left has destroyed civil liberties. Like the ACLU is, is useless. In Canada, we're 
much worse off than you are in the states. Um, but yeah, no First Amendment. No First <laughs> Amendment. Uh, yeah. You know, no protection of uh, truth, protection, of expression. Uh, we've got a petty dictator wannabe in Trudeau. It's it's just unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, like that, that's that's uh, what I'm saying is like when I see some of these things happening now and people are freaking out, I'm like, why weren't you freak like? These alarm bells should have been rung in 2013 and 2014. Like ringing them now because the right's doing it. For me, it's like I'm. I'm sorry. I. For some people, I have absolutely no pity. Like I saw Crenshaw complaining about how civil liberties were gone. I'm like, your paper in 1991 mapping the margins. You said straight out you wanted to get rid of the liberal yeah. ethic, and now you're complaining about it. Like, no, I, right. I, I have no sympathy for her, none whatsoever. You know, like other people, yeah, I do have some sympathy for her because yeah, you tried her, but it's just like I'm. Again, I'm, I'm being very, you know, down on this, but it just, maybe I spent too much time looking into it. It just, it, it's just, I'm like, <laughs> there's so much that needs to be fixed. It, it's, you know, it's scary. Well, I, you know, I, I, I agree. Um, and I'm concerned about overcorrections as well. Um, you know, in, in our group, we have, you know, we're, we have mixed opinions about, for example, the Stop Woke Act in, yeah. in Florida. Um, I think, I think Fire is correct on this that, saying what a, someone can and can't say in the classroom in, in a, at the college level was a little problematic. And, you know, the Stop Woke Act mm-hmm. actually says certain things you can't say in the class. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I don't know if that's the right the right way to do it. Um, uh, I, I think at its core, though, I think you going back to your point about it seems like it's gotten out of hand. Um, I think the reason for that again, goes back to what you're saying about these PhDs that are coming out. I think people have been just confused. I was genuinely, genuinely confused because yes, people with PhDs would come out and say these things. Um, for example, the classic Ibram Kendi line um, that um, the only, you know, that if there's a, I'm paraphrasing the, the diff- any difference between in outcomes between two different groups is evidence for racism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he has a PhD, he's, he's distinguished, he, you know, uh, he gets a lot of invitations. He has famous books. Um, I've, I read his book. Um, there's some interesting things in there, to, I'll be honest. Um, but the overarching concept that he's trying to promote is, is, is non-scientific. <laughs> it, it is, it's, it's just an assumption, um, it, it, the way a scientist would approach that. And I think people need to understand that and they need to understand how to, um how to criticize uh some how to how to criticize an idea as a, as a scientist would so the the essence of science is is and in fact you you said you read kindly inquisitors right so yeah. um which is a wonderful book um and you know roush makes the point and he's a journalist but it's the same kind of thing that the, the business of knowledge production in essence it's um it's the business of criticizing and doubting something uh and the only way you can do that is by speaking up and saying what's on your mind and you're gonna you you propose an idea um then i go check it uh and that's basically that's really all science really is in a way it's just um you you people proposing an idea and everybody else criticizing it and the the ideas that are able to withstand this process of criticism are the ones that we accept as as probably correct like the theory of evolution right uh the theory of 
in my field the theory of plate tectonics the reason we're, we accept these things are, is because no one's figured out a good enough way to criticize them right they seem to stand up to all the criticism um and and so the way to, to interact with with a dei board would be when they say we want this and what you do is you say okay um can you show me some evidence that supports um some literature that supports what you want to do now you know they maybe they provide it uh, if they don't then a, a a a scientist a true scholar would be like we're done here because if you can't provide any backup for what you're saying i'm not really sure we're supposed to do it unless they're you know ideologically biased or something <laughs> but maybe they do provide something and this is where it gets interesting because i've seen some of these papers and i think you've seen some of the papers the the original um and the papers, when you when you read some of the papers that are designed to back up what people are saying, what the things that are called research, social justice research, they're they are all they are um, all operating under a series of assumptions, and they're not they're not operating under enlightenment based principles of scholarship, and uh, and and so it's, that's where it starts to get interesting. And I think if people understood that, they would they could interact in a little in more productive ways, at least especially at the uh, at the university level. Yeah, I, I I think it was I can't remember if it was Peter Bogosian or Brett Weinstein who called it, you know, uh, uh, n- was it knowledge laundering or uh, idea? Yes. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's exactly what it is. Like you're 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 bringing in these things, so someone can point to this paper. I mean, you know, like I did a deep dive into all this stuff, and I mean, some of the papers I, I, was, I was looking for again because I wanted to show them to people because they were so nuts. But I remember reading one that said. Uh, that the slaves that were brought over from Africa because their labor helped the white colonizers wipe out the, you know, indigenous tribes in the United States, the slaves were responsible for partially responsible for the genocide of the indigenous tribes. Now that's nuts. And I mean, I don't know who that helps. I don't know who, what that, what that's supposed to do, but blaming slaves for the slaughter of the indigenous tribes i mean like all that i can see that doing is creating racial divisions and you're you know like in my mind if i was david duke i would write that to create divisions between you know black people and natives like that they you know that, that's the only thing i can see that doing um but yeah it's again I, i'm still trying to wrap my head around i understand how the administration grew and like you know i i I read it, like read a lot of stuff about this, but at one point, I mean, again, that's maybe it just got too big and it's too hard to handle, but shouldn't that be part of the, the deal with universities is you're, you're actually auditing your departments and making sure they're coming out with good scholarship. Like, you know, well, that's a, that's an excellent point. And let me tell you structurally the problem with that, which is that at, at my, first of all, at my university, um, California State University, San Bernardino, I think it's like most universities, which is that most of the tenure decisions go through the department primarily. Mm-hmm. Each department writes its own criteria for tenure. Um, the university may have some criteria for tenure as well, um, but the departments are pretty much in control of what goes on. I think it's not common for someone above a department level, say a dean or a provost or, or at the college level um, to deny someone tenure for scholarship. That's at least that I think, I think that's going to be true for most universities. So the problem, you know, if, if, if you, I think we agree that there is a problem of scholarship in some departments, um, it becomes a self-perpetuating 
um, uh, engine of, of activism because you get a majority of, once you get a majority of uh, faculty in a department that believes that scholarship is defined by your activism, um, then those activists are going to continue to get tenured and the department becomes a department of, of activism. Do you think, I mean, I spoke, I was speaking to a couple of professors, but one, uh, I mean, who's also in California, Jake Mackey. Um, I asked him this as well. I said, at this point, what I see needing to happen is, okay, so take the, go back to the Stop Woke Act. I think if the Stop Woke Act had stopped with just the DEI administration or the administration in general and not did anything with the faculty or what's being taught in classrooms, I think it would have been much a much better piece of legislation. Like, prove what you're doing. Like, you know, if you're, if you're going out, like the DEI, so... Personally, I think it's going to have to be faculty standing up and going to, um, you know, like the deans and the president and, you know, like all the higher, uh, I don't know if that's administration or whatever, in the university and saying, these boards are curtailing our freedom. And like, it's either, you know, stick with them or you're going to lose us. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, for all of you, you're risking your job, but I don't see any university wanting to lose, let's say, 60% of their you know, they're professors. I don't think any university could survive that, right? Like it's so either revamp your administration or uh, let us do what we're going to do. But like, 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 I don't see, I, without that critical mass of teachers and professors, I don't see reasonable pushback that's going to work without legislation. Then, like, I don't think if, if the faculty doesn't I, do it, I, I think the state is going to have to step in. That's right. And a state, California is not going to step in. Um, other states will. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see what happens in, um, you know, in the so-called red states, for example, where there's a political will to, you know, return universities to, you know, enlightenment-based scholarship. And I think, um, I'm just curious to see what will happen. I, I can't see that. But on the other hand, I, I really think that one of the, you know, going back to the the, the structure of the, you know, the political structure, the political reality of the university is that most people at the university are are on the political left. Um, you know, that's frankly that's that used to be what makes made universities fun for me because it's you know people doing weird stuff and that's fun, you know, and I, that's what makes college towns really cool. But, but I think it's gotten a little bit out of control right now, and I think that going back to explaining all this as this problem of scholarship will bring a lot of people on the political left to understand what's going on. Like, for example, you know, if you say, if you come up with a Kendiism, um, I think most, most scientists anyways, at least in the science, I don't know what we do about sociology departments or English departments or anything, but at least in the sciences, I think that if, if we make the point that, that explaining any difference between two outcomes as one, as assuming it's due to one vague concept, just explaining that's just bad science. I think people will understand that. I think that's, that's because I think the people on the political left, they, they, you know, traditionally have um, prided themselves on, on being the pro science side of the political spectrum, so to speak, right? Science is real, right? This yeah. is, I think that's part of, and I, I think that is, um, I think that's historically been true because I think that comes from the fact that people on the left tend to be more secular. They perceive people on the right to be more religious and irrational. And so to be on the left is to be in favor of science. So I think if we, if we can sort of lean into that, um, then I think we can start to bring people over to 
at least be sympathetic to the idea that 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 some that DEI is should be criticized not just in not just by whispers in a hallway, but in departmental meetings in college level meetings um, and in you know reviews and things like that. I think yeah. I think that's a that's one pathway forward. But okay, the STEM thing, like I talk about this now, but the, what you were just saying, like you know, we have to follow, like you know, let's be scientific about this, and that's one of the things. Okay, the, especially during the COVID, the whole COVID thing. Like, I, I, I'm not going to get in. Like you know, I'm not. I, I'm not going to start. I'm not. A, I took the vaccines, whatever. Like I'm not. You know, but but there was a lot of bullshit during COVID, and the answer always was follow the science. And Fauci on 60 Minutes, I am the science. Like no, no bullshit okay you know follow the scientific method like you know that that should have been the mantra not follow the science correct that is correct that's one very excellent point you know but when you have biology departments now that are actually actively you know pushing gender and queer ideology and we have biology departments questioning what it is to be male and female which is happening you know yes Um, what are you going to do when intelligent design rears its ugly head again? Right when you know, I was mentioned Montreal. What happened there? So at McGill and at Concordia. So at McGill, a friend of mine, he's a chemistry professor. He was putting in for a funding for a research project. He got denied because his hiring wasn't going to be diverse enough because he was doing it on merit, not on DEI initiatives. And he's from like Pat is Indian. He's from South Asia, and he was told yeah. he's being racist and white supremacist. Concordia is teaching in their physics department, you know, the racism of white light. So, I mean, it's, you know, this is, it, it isn't STEM. I mean, I, I saw something for uh, archaeology, which, I mean, I, I don't know where that falls under science or social science or whatever, but, you know, and this was a few years ago and I brought it up with some friends and they're like, oh, what are you talking about? This, this is silly. Uh, and now I see it in a bit, few more places where, we shouldn't assume the gender of the bodies that we find because, you know, we don't know how they identify. And I'm sorry, but if you find a male skeleton, I think you're safe to assume that was a male. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, like it's archaeology shouldn't be focusing on that. So it's like, you know, like I said, STEM was the last bastion, but it's, it's creeping in through the back door. It's coming in through the funding. It's coming in through... Um, you know, like I said, okay, how are you going to hire people? So again, it's uh, you know, it's a war of attrition. If you have you've turned uh, your K through twelve is turning into woke madrasas, and eventually the universities are going to be woke seminaries. And you know, it's 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 they just have to wait for Gen X to die out, pretty much. I mean, that's like I don't know. <laughs> And the, and the boomers, yeah, the boomers, yeah. There's still there's some some you know yeah. the younger boomers and um, yeah, but I mean like that, that that's what I mean like it, it's in STEM like how 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 you know when you talk about okay it's you know the politicization or whatever but I'm just like I I at this point I, I still want to see either a really big pushback coming from a lot of places all at once or just say you know what burn it to the ground and we're going to start up things like the University of Austin. Or like, what was the other mm-hmm. one? The Ralston Academy and things like that. Right, right. You know, because I think there is enough professors like you who are, you know, fed up with this, that if you did branch out, and I think there would be a market for it, but, you know, again, I'm from the outside looking in. 
well, I think there definitely would be a market for it. And I think, um, you know, I, 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 I think the, the, the solution is multi-pronged effort. I think having the new, the new institutions is going to be important. Um, mm -hmm. I think, um, reforming, reforming institutions where there's political will to do it. Um, I think there's some ham fisted attempts to do that right now. Um, but in the end, I think people will start to get it right. Um, there's other external reform, external reforms, like, for example, why are we sending so many kids to college in the first place? Why are these places so powerful, right? Um, now, maybe that's easy for me to say as a tenured professor, um, the assistant professor who, who or the adjunct or the part-timer may be mad, but we probably need fewer universities um, in the sense that why do you need why do you need a college degree to become a police officer, to become a um, to become a CPA? I mean, seriously, um, uh, there's a lot I, of things. I don't, like, like, uh, or, or m most things, right? Like maybe you know. Um, I think as the public starts to perceive universities, um, you know, I, I got have you have you had Amna um, Khaledan? You know who she is? She's uh, written a lot of. She's she's a part of Academic Freedom Alliance. Um, she's going to speak to our group in a little bit. Um, she's she's really good, um, and she's a very passionate defender of academic freedom. Um, and she really is very, she's critical of DEI and she's critical of a lot of stuff DeSantis is doing and red state yeah. stuff. Um, and, you know, she points out Stop Woke Act is against academic freedom. She wants reforms to come from professors. I agree with her in theory. Um, I tend to be more aligned with you that there's going to need to be some, some external legislative um, uh, solutions to this where it's politically feasible. Um, and I think the reason for that is we can sit around and wait for it to happen within but at some point the the uh the the voters in in particularly red states are just going to be fed up they're gonna be like why why am i sending why am i sending my kid to a, these universities and they're they're getting these what looks like a psychology degree but actually they're learning they're learning political ideologies as as fact um and i think and and then why am i hiring this kid with a college degree when the degree is just an indication that they're going to be they're going to bring political activism to my company as opposed to performing a job. So, I think if the universities don't get their act together, there's going to be there will be some political consequences for that. Um, and I, I in the next even it could even be sooner than we think because um, I, I think there'll be a place like Oklahoma. Um, I could see if 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 there was a referendum to um, you know close all the departments at the university, defund every department at the University of Oklahoma, except engineering and, and STEM and, you know, maybe, um, you know, I don't know, a few others. Um, I, that would probably be passed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So universities need to, they need to, they really need to, this is the, there's an echo chamber or bubble problem at the universities and they really need, I, I hope that universities would appreciate having dissident professors among their ranks to help point out where there's going to be some problems because if they don't pay attention to this there's some again in california probably not going to be an issue but in some of the other states there's going to be there's going to be some problems okay you know this like not everyone has to go to university yes i agree with that you know there should be more put on trades um there should be more even like some of the it stuff like you know i work in it uh to to administer computer networks or looking after like the physical, you know, like the routing and the switching and the servers and all that, you can take a one-year course and, you know, then you can start working. You don't have to go in debt. You don't need a computer science course and all this stuff. Like, yeah, all this credentialism is getting out of hand. Like, you know, oh yeah, you're, you're going to do data entry at a government, you know, for a government 
uh, you know, municipal government or whatever. It's a, yeah, you need a bachelor's degree for that. No, you don't. You're just doing data entry. Um, but you, yeah, like, I mean, I, I joked around in the early 2000s. I was like, yeah, you don't need university anymore. I said, unless you're going to become a, like a, a, you know, a doctor or an engineer, like I was saying things like that. Uh, you know, if it's an arts degree, just read some books. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, but they have to, you have to be careful. Like I, I, I think, you know, we got to stop, or at least maybe that should come from universities as well. Like just saying, let's stop giving out frivolous degrees. I mean, with this, the frivolous degrees, the, the student loan problem. I understand it's not all universities, but you know, like the Ivies. I don't know about the Pac-10 schools, uh, or like you know, like the like the you know schools like Northwestern, or whatever. They have huge endowments. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if you. If you gave someone a degree in gender studies or, you know, they've got a PhD in queer theory, the university ripped them off. The university robbed them of an education. The university, like, I, I, that's my belief. Like, you def- you defrauded so many kids. I, I think a generation of children or, or young adults, whatever you want to call them, like university students, had their education stolen. They were ripped off by these universities for teaching them absolute nonsense and for not teaching them how to think for actually re-educating them. Maybe they learned how to think in high school and they were re-educated out of how to think, you know, they, you know, any critical thinking was beat out of them. Like, I, that's my belief. Like, okay, yeah, fine. You went to medical school, you went to engineering, you you went to these things, you got a high student debt, but at least you're making decent money. But, you know, you got a sociology degree and you're focused on uh, post-colonialism or something like that. Like, I'm sorry, you're not fit for purpose, except to go back to university and teach that nonsense to other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, they, again, I, I, I don't want to be too confrontational. Yeah. I want people to feel free to get their gender studies degree if that's what they want to do. Um, but I want people to, to feel free to ridicule it. <laughs> um, yeah. I want people to, I want people to feel free to oppose funding it. Um, you know, this it, is very, it's very complicated. I, um, it, the, what people choose to study, um, you know, I study geology, you know, people, why are we, why are we paying this guy to teach people how to identify rocks? You know, I, I, I could see people saying that, um, I, I think, I think the, again, the solution from a rhetorical standpoint is to help people understand that when somebody gets a degree in gender studies, um, they are getting a degree in, in, in radical social change. They're not getting a degree in enlightenment-based scholarship. And I think that that's, I, I, don't, I think if you put it like that, I, it's my theory, I don't know. I hope, I hope that if you put it like that, that people sort of understand. Like, I, I'm, you know, I, I think, I've, I've, I haven't read Judith Butler yet. I don't think I want to. I heard it's no, really hard to read. Uh, trust me, you don't want to read um, but as bad you know, as, as bad as CRT is, just going to interject. As, I don't know how much CRT you read, but as bad as CRT and intersectionality is, I, uh, I, gender I, gender studies is far for worse. Judith Butler and Gail Rubin are just uh, it's just insane, insane rambling. Sorry, I just, I, I, I just I've read some of the popular, you know, like I read Kendi's book. I read White Fragility, which is that's the book that actually radicalized me to 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 go down the rabbit hole because that one that that. I can 
I can explain. There's a little story on that. I can tell you that in a little bit if you're interested, um, because it, it encapsulates the whole issue. Um, you know, but I read these books, and I, I think I remember reading somewhere somebody wrote an op-ed about um, you know social justice, and and yeah, maybe it gets out of hand, but it does. There's a kernel of of truth. There are kernels of truth in there, and one of the most important things it teaches. Um, if you want to take a moderate view of it, which I think is which is something good, which is that it just encourages people to listen a little more. Um, I, I'm, I, I, it doesn't mean I'm going to agree with stuff, but I, you know, maybe maybe I could take a you know, if someone, you know, if I have a a friend over and they want to talk about George Floyd, and maybe I'll listen listen a little more deeply to what they're going to say. And that's I, I don't mind that. Um, that's that's just good interaction with humans, you know. But of course, obviously there's there's you know but i'm I'm trying to be generous i'm trying to be as generous as possible yeah. to I, I don't want it because i don't want again i don't want to i'm i'm not trying to be pugnacious about any of this really except to the extent that when radical social change becomes the modus operandi for the university i think that is that's the end of the university i'll i'll i will die on that hill um <laughs> for sure yeah i mean you can't have an open chain, you know, exchange of ideas. You can't. There's no learning to be had. I mean, I, I I've used this example and I talk about it, and it's so the golden age of Islam, uh, you know, went on from about I think it was like eight fifty to like eleven hundred, eleven fifty or twelve hundred, something like that, like roughly in that time. Um, you know, it was after the Mongols sacked Baghdad that it ended. Uh, but. About a hundred years before that happened, you had this guy Al Ghazali, and Al Ghazali had the year of the Caliph, um, and w- he, he was a Sufi. And I mean, the, the whole central point of the Sufism is everything you do is done for the praise and glory of Allah and Islam. Okay. Um, right now, Sufism is kind of oh, it's mysticism and stuff. But Al Ghazali had a very, very va- vaunted position. He was given the title the Proof of Islam. Like, like what was written about him is like his his writing was so good that if you lost the Quran and the Hadith, you could almost rebuild the entirety of Islam just with, uh, by, by Al Ghazali's writings. So that's how revered he was. Um, but he wrote this book called The Incoherence of the Philosophers. And he said, we don't need any any more maths. We don't need any more philosophies. We have enough to build things. We have enough for engineering. We don't need any more new thought. It should all be done to glorify Allah and God. Now, this happened, I said, roughly about 100 years before the Mongol sacked Baghdad. So his thinking started getting spread about, you know, the caliphate, right? So Iran, Middle East, North Africa, um, th- that whole region. And then there were other th- thinkers at that point that were revered in the West, like Averroes and Avicenna, and there were you know, a few, few others, like a few that I've read, like Ibn Khaldun, and i um, trying to think of some others. And they actually, I think it was... Avicenna or Averroes wrote a refutation of the incoherence of the philosophers. They call it the incoherence of the incoherence. Their writings were banned in the caliphate. They were expelled. So my whole thing with this is you cut off that you cut off that you know the, the sense of inquiry. You cut off free inquiry. Um, I mean, Hitchens put it best in his book. He said, you know, uh, faith is helping to choke free inquiry and the emancipating pro- you know, consequences that it might bring. And that's exactly what happened because, you know, over the thousand years, yeah, there were little pockets here and there where, where Islam 
brought about some nice things, but it didn't actually innovate. It just kept redoing the same arches, the same geometry, the same whatever, but they built some nice stuff in Spain. I'm not you know discounting that, but there was no new real innovation because we they stopped at that. But you look at you know, look at Muslim majority countries now. There's there's no advancement. I mean, what you have one Muslim who won a Nobel Prize in science? And if you based on population size, I mean it's it's kind of ridiculous. It's so if you do that here, you're curtail like you're gonna get rid of even the ability to ask the questions that are needed to advance science or to advance human flourishing. Like it's again, maybe I'm really pessimistic. I, I you know, I'll think of like um, David Deutsch's book, uh, Beginning of Infinity, and he talks about pockets of enlightenment. And I'm like, yo, I don't want a thousand years from now another Deutsch writing about us as a pocket of enlightenment that got extinguished. And frankly, we're doing it to ourselves. Like it's, it's, it, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's um, that. That's an interesting analogy. Um, I, I, I about sort of the religious analogy, um, and I, I know John John McWhorter made this point about the political activism that it is a religion, um, and. Um, and but the, the faith, the faith that's involved in it, um, again from a scientific perspective, all that means is that people are just accepting a set of underlying assumptions, right? Um, if you're if you're a Christian, you accept the underlying assumption that that God created the world and Jesus died for your sins. If you're um, if you're an intelligent design, you accept the assumption that um, that uh, that some some intelligent being uh design the world right if you are radicals if you're interested in radical social change and you're a scholar activist you accept the assumption that our society is divided into oppressor and oppressed classes um and that are defined by various identity groups and your all of your scholarship goes points back to that north star right and so i think as professors we need to remember that there's only one underlying assumption to the enlightenment well i might i might i'm true philosophers may quibble with me but as far as a scientist is concerned the underlying assumption is that there is a reality out there and it's possible to try to move towards it through the process of the scientific method of free yeah. inquiry open debate and that's the only assumption and that is that should be that should be the um the, the the goal of the university you know one thing i feel like i've learned from postmodernists i think this is this is correct um the that you know political agendas are basically based on who has the power right i i, don't, I think there's i think there's a point to that right and so what they would say it like here's here's a problem with a critique of, of social justice at the university right now which i think is a good point um, someone like me, my, a dissident might come up and say, we need to get politics out of the university, right? And an activist might say, politics have always been in the university. Um, we're just trying to change the politics, right? The, the, the politics used to be, um, you know, evidence, logic, reason, rationality. That's what we accept. But we want to accept a different thing. We want to accept social justice. We want to accept, you know, compassion as we define it or whatever. Mm -hmm. We want to accept driving towards a utopia. Um, and so I think to address that, all you have to do is just say, instead of saying we want politics out of the university, I think what professors need to start doing is standing up and saying, we want the central, uh, the central agenda of this university to be the pursuit of knowledge and beauty 
through the processes of the enlightenment, through through logic, reason, rationality, etc. Um, and I think if you say that out loud, and but that's so weird about it, Obeid, is that to say that out loud, it's again, it's just it's crazy. This is what is so mind numbing to me. Because you're right. How did it? How did we get here? Seriously, like I think the administration. I, I think the universities really. Uh, this is. I, I think the fact that we have to say this is is shameful that we have to say this at the universities. Yeah, like just one on one thing you were talking about, like the, the you know the social justice, the critical social justice, or the grievance scholarship, whatever. I kind of described it as like the bizarro Ezekiel story. So, you know, Ezekiel pulls back the veil and he sees paradise. Like I, you know, it's like, it's, it's whatever. It's the book of Ezekiel in the Bible. He pulls back, or it might be an ax. I can't remember. But anyways, he pulls back the veil and he sees, and there's that painting of him, of, you know, Ezekiel pulling back the veil and he's kind of sticking his head through. And he sees paradise in the background. I'm like, these guys are pulling back the veil. And instead of seeing paradise, they're seeing oppression and hell. And, you know, like, so it's, it's like a bizarro Ezekiel story. I mean, it's, it's not that I give credence to either one, but there's, you know, people say, "Oh, well, that you're you're siding with this guy, and he's a Christian, and you you're, you're not, you're an atheist, or whatever." I'm like, "Yeah, but I might disagree with the reality that that Christian has, but at least he agrees that there's a reality that we can all share." You know, right. like, we're starting off from that point that you know, at least there's like that little foundation that's the same. We can quibble about whether or not which reality is true, but I'd right. rather side with someone who believes that there is an objective reality. Then side with someone who just thinks reality is whatever you make it. You know, like you yeah. know, I'd I'd like to think the moon is still there, even though I'm not seeing it. You know, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and you know, this goes back to um, I remember, um, you know, I'm, I'm I was I'm, I'm a I'll say it, I'll admit it, I, I'm a fan of Jordan Peterson. I know it's controversial mm -hmm. to say that in some crowds, but I like a lot of things that he said and. Um, when, um, you know, when somebody asked him once, do you believe in God? And he sort of, I think his answer is something like, I'm agnostic on it, but I act as though I do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think about that in terms of science and reality, right? So maybe the postmodernists are correct. Maybe there is no reality. It's just oppression or whatever. I don't know. But <laughs> I think for science to function, you have to act as if there is at least act like there is a reality right yeah. so you know let the philosophers quibble over whether or not the reality exists or not but geology as a science chemistry physics any kind of scholarly inquiry cannot function if we don't just assume there is a reality just assume it right maybe it's not maybe we're maybe you know i just watched the matrix with my daughter the other night um which you know that the documentary the matrix and um which is just a fun way to, it's just a fun movie, of course, but the idea that maybe we're living in a simulation, maybe we are, but scientists can't act as if we are. We just have to move forward and just do our stuff and look at our rocks and analyze our black holes and let's just get on. With it. Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> if we are living in a simulation, I mean, you know, even if it crashes and they got to reboot, like we're never going to know. So yeah, like you know, like I, I, I just so yeah, like I said, might as well go through. But but that's you know, again, I don't, I gotta, I want to be conscious of time. I don't want to keep you too too long. But I, I, I'm worried about that. Like I'm worried about you know, okay, I don't have kids. I don't have kids in the school system. I don't have you know anything like that. But whatever, I'm in my fifties. 
you know, 10 years from now when I retire, um, I want to make sure that the people managing my pensions know what the hell they're talking about. They're not saying two plus two equals five. You know, I want my medical system not to assign me doctors based on the color of my skin, but based on like, you know, who's, who's qualified. Um, you know, I, it's things like this. Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm being kind of selfish in this, but at the same point too, yes, I go, you know, I don't want to live in a society where like, I'll give you some of my fears and I'll let you know, I'll give you the chance to see, you know, let me know what you think and if there's going to be a pushback, but some of the, you know, I, I see some people say, Oh, look at these Gen Z's. They were, you know, they, they're not going along with this gender stuff, but then there's another study that comes out where 65% of Gen Z's would rather have cameras in the home to make sure that everyone's observed. You know, um, there was another study out recently. Uh, and it was, again, I was thinking it was like 20 year olds. Um, 56% of Republicans believe that, th that professors who say things that are offensive should be fired. And it was something like 80% of Democrats. I don't like, even if the social justice, like, you know, those woke stuff goes away, you've got a generation that's got a very authoritarian mindset. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see the society they're building. Like it's, it, I'll add on to that. Like I said, even if this woke stuff gets, goes away, like I find that there's been so much capitulation, not even like capitulation, but just at the end of the uh, PC era, like late nineties, early, you know, late eighties, early nineties, Oh, see, it, it was just some silly college stuff. It's gone away. No, it went underground. Mm -hmm. I know when the CDC came out with recommendations that, you know, we should maybe give out the COVID vaccine by race instead of by age. And it was, you know, there was outcry, rightfully so. And then two days later, they pulled that recommendation. Everyone's like, see, it's, it's no big deal. They pulled it two years later. You've got medical schools requiring DEI statements over and above, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the Hippocratic oath. So, people give up too easy. Like I just, you know, there was an article in wall street journal. Oh yeah. So many companies have gotten rid of DEI administrator officers. Oh yay. We're winning. I'm like, no, you're not like, it's just going to morph. Like it's a, like, I'm worried about, like I said, that, that new generation that's thinking authoritarianly. And then some on the, there who are opposed to the woke stuff. I don't want to even say anti woke side, but like, you know, some who are opposed to the woke stuff just give up too easy. Oh, it, it reminds me of George Bush jr. Going to Iraq saying, yeah, mission accomplished. You know, like, it's it's, right. it's, 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 right. it's like you're way too early to say you're winning or, oh, the New York Times wrote a really good article. See, they're, they're pushing back on woke. Like, no, they're not. Like, they wrote one article out of 100. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to have any thoughts on that or, like, if you want to talk about more about how you could push back against this stuff, like, or anything you want. Go ahead. Well, I mean, one, one thing I've learned to do is to sort of um, – you know, you go to the, the internet has all these signals of what's happening. And, and, um, mm. and, um, I, I've learned to just be skeptical of just everything, <laughs> all the, it, I feel like everything has an agenda behind it. Um, uh, all I, what I can say is that, and, and I think in some ways, I know this is going to sound, um, you know, despite all my opinions about these things and the letter that I've been involved in, in this organization, um, you know, I, I think things on the ground are not as dire as people think they are. Um, I think people are generally cool. Um, most faculty members, um, are pretty rational. 
Um, I think people are just going along with things. I think there's a lot of faculty members who go along with things just because they're, they perceive it to be as, as uh, something they're politically aligned with. Um, I think a lot of the students, there's a lot more um, um, very, very ability in student opinions um, that at least where I am. So um, that may not be true at like a Wellesley or a, um, you know, Swarthmore or Harvard or anything, but I'm just at a regular old state university in Southern, in inland Southern California. Actually, most of our students are Hispanic. Um, and I have, I have yet to meet, uh, this is going to, some other professors might be jealous that are listening to this. Um, I really have yet to encounter what someone would call a social justice warrior or a woke student. Most of my students come to school. I teach them geology. I help them get jobs. They go out in the world. They want to be productive. They're good. They're great kids. I love my students. And I don't, um, again, that might be a function of the fact that I'm at a Hispanic institution and, and most of the woke stuff comes out of uh, upper class white kids, rich white kids from the Northeast. Um, I don't know if that's true and that's, that could be it, but um, you know, and the, and and I think most of the professors are are great people. I like them. Um, I, I so I, I understand. It. So if you know, on the other hand, shit is happening. Right? There's real <laughs> stuff happening around the country and around the world. I don't mean to discount that. I'm just I just want to say from my own personal experience, I think we're going to be okay. I think people are starting to. Some people are starting to hit a wall. Um, I think they're starting to understand intuitively that approaching everything from a social justice perspective is just is is uh is a low qual a low resolution way of seeing the world and i think people want to be higher quality thinkers in that um, and so i think we're going to be okay it doesn't it may not feel like it um i don't know exactly how it's going to work in california um uh you know but remember you know we had uh, we've had two referenda so far about using um, race-based admission and it was voted down twice. So that's in the California constitution. So the voters yeah. certainly in California don't want to see everything through a racial lens for, for just for example. Um, and, you know, so I think, I think things are going to be okay, but part of that, and this is maybe just, I don't mean to bookend this like this, but maybe I do, I don't know. Um, part of that is definitely having professors criticize things when they see it. And I think nothing's going to happen if, if that, that must be part of the equation. Professors and students need to be feel free to stand up um, in meetings um, and in the classroom and criticize things. And, um, or, and it's not even just, again, when I say criticize, I mean, just have a conversation about things or challenge people and, and, and do it, do it in a, in the way we would challenge any, any idea. And um, so I'm, I'm hoping that that's what, um, and there are a lot of there are groups around the country that are starting to help for faculty organize like that. There's one at, at MIT. There's one at Harvard now. Um, we I just did a, um, a last month. I did a webinar with Fire, with the guy from Harvard, um, and um, and uh, you know we talked about. I think we might we might do another one actually just explicitly only about how to organize organize faculty. Um, but you know, any professors that are listening to this, I would strongly encourage you, um, to just say stuff. Um, maybe you're wrong, maybe you're not. Um, but just sitting there quiet, even if you feel like you're the only person in the room, people need to know that, that there's not, that, that ideas are, don't have unanimous support at the very least. You know what I mean? Maybe that doesn't do anything. Um, but, but every, every bit helps and this comes, you know, um, 
you know, and and again, I I also wanted to say that I don't claim to have all the answers, right? I don't I don't necessarily, you know, maybe a social justice scholar would have a really good point about something, and and but we're not going to. The only way we're going to get to that is by having a, a conversation about it where I can ask questions, right? And so, um, you know, so. Well, I mean, that's a good place to leave it. But I, I'm just going to add one thing, then I'll ask you to give everyone your contacts and. Then, but like what you mentioned there, like you know, get the professors to stand up. Now, yes. you know, I grew up in a Muslim household. You know, uh, is you know, like I, I grew, up, I was raised as a Muslim and everything, and then you know, now I'm an atheist. Now, I technically have a death threat hanging hanging over me. Like if I went to Saudi, if I went to Pakistan, like I think there's 13 countries that would kill me. Right? Wow. Um, no, I'm, I'm not saying this. I, I mean, Canada, I'm not, I'm not worried about, you know, like I'm not saying this because it's like, but I'm just I'm like, that's an actual fact. But like what I saw with a lot of people, you know, who had, you know, who had, who had left Islam and stuff. And it's, just, it takes a few to start speaking out. And then, you know, so I, yeah, a professor, you might, if you're not tenured and even tenure now, it doesn't really offer much protection. You, you could face firing, you could face censure, you could face, you know, you're not going to get promoted. You're not going to get any funding. You're, you know, like, you could face all these things. Like I'm not denying, but your little life isn't on the line. Um, right. you know, speak up. Like, like I said, you know, it's, uh, like iron or CLE said it, uh, after the Charlie Hebdo was killed. It's like, everyone should share these pictures, like spread the risk. Because you know, you yes. can't go after all of you, you know. So right. like you know, it, it's um, you know, I, that that's the one thing I'd add to that. Like yeah, like yeah, more professors to, should stand up. Um, you know, it, and it's it's actually ridiculous that pe more people learn if you disagree with something you're not saying the thing because we do have tenure. <laughs> it actually it's not that easy to get rid of someone with tenure. Um, mm. and and if especially if you're tenured, for God's sakes, just stay what's on your mind. Um, mm. I think I, I said this to um in the fire webinar we had, this is really silly, but I think this is true. If, if, um, if 18 year old boys can storm the beach in Omaha, then, you know, a 45 year old tenure professor surely can raise their hand and say, they think it's a bad idea to, you know, get rid of the GRE. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, or, or, or ask someone like, why, why are we, why does, why does you think our department needs a DEI committee? Like, what's the reason for having a DEI committee? Why do we need it? And make them make people explain it. Maybe they have a reason for it. I don't know, but I feel like no one's ever asked to explain anything. So, like, just start start there. So, yep. um, um, so you know, if if I may, just can I just talk a little bit briefly about talk our, our 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 group? Um, hmm. So, again, so what? And, and this is really a message. Again, I know you. I'm, I know you have a lot of professors out there that are listening. Um, so I just want to tell a little bit about our, our story. Um, you know, we, we connected through public, publicly available lists, um, membership lists of the heterodox Academy, for example. Um, there was, um, open, there's a lot of open letters that are out there. So you can find the names of people that are in your, in your university, um, on, on, uh, on, on publicly available lists, because, you know, there, there's a, there's, there's sort of an activation energy problem, right? If you, if you feel like you're a dissident at the university, you don't really know where to go because you feel like you're in a minority, which you frankly probably are. So how do you, you know, what are you going to do? Walk around with a sign and say, are there any other dissident professors here? You know, so, 
you have to contact people. And so I, I would advise people use these publicly available lists. Um, one thing that our group is a little, and this is, this was by design, which is that, you know, we are in the California state university system. Um, this is different from the university of California, by the way, that's where those are the research institutions, but our system is the teaching focused um, institution, the, the, the government um, college system in California. We have 23 campuses um, all over the state. We have about a half a million students throughout the system, um, which makes us the largest four-year uh, university system in the United States. So what we're doing is we're leveraging the size of our system to get more people involved. Um, and so we have 270 people that signed our open letter, um, and we, that number continues to grow. And what's nice about that is that once people are on our letter, they can find other people that are on their own campuses, right? So I'm at Cal State San Bernardino, and I think we got about 10 people on my campus that have signed the letter. And so now I, now I've, I have doors to go knock on, right? And people to talk to. Um, and, you know, so we're, we're building this network. And like, we're not all on the same campus, but we are all in the same system. We report to the same chancellor um, and we all, we all operate in a vague, basically the same, the same system. So, you know, there are a few things we can do. Like this is an example of one thing that we're doing right now is we're putting together, we got about seven or eight of us that are going to, um, we're going to draft a, um, a sort of a template to propose uh, committees for academic freedom to our faculty senates. So a couple of our campuses have a faculty committee for academic freedom. Um, and then we wanna make sure every campus has a committee for academic freedom and, and expression too. Um, and try to get one on every campus and get them all networked together um, so that we can talk to each other when, and help each other out if, when, you know, when issues come up. Um, and so, cause one of the issues with, with all this stuff, and this is a very real issue that professors will appreciate is that we're very busy. So how do you, how can we become involved in this yet make do it in a way that makes sense for our careers right the scholar activists they've done this very brilliant um this very brilliant uh, move which is that they've incorporated their activism into their actual scholarship so when someone in a gender studies department goes up for tenure uh, they get to use their papers as scholarship but it's also their activism, right? So in a geology, we, we I don't I can't do that with my my research. So how do I figure out a way to to sort of promote the ideas I want, um, yet be able to do something that I can present to the the review committees when I go up for promotion, right? And so the answer is to you know develop committees on your campus, things like that. So we're trying to figure out ways to do that. So um, anyway, so you know. Um, I won't say much more about that, um, but just to, I, I'm kind of rambling on about it. Oh. But I really want to encourage I want to encourage um, faculty members to try to find each other. It's a wonderful experience. I can I promise you to find someone where you can speak freely. Um, you can you can say what you want to say if you feel like you didn't have any friends before. It's really uh, it's a really a neat experience to find other faculty. I strongly encourage. I, I kind of joke that it's kind of like I feel like finding dissident faculty on campus is kind of like being a gay man in the 1930s and moving to San Francisco. And all of a sudden you're surrounded by gay dudes. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like it's the same kind of thing, you know, when we, you, you sort of organize, organize a group of people mm -hmm. and next thing you know, you're on a zoom call with 30 other people that are in your exact same position that are just like, you know, why are, DEI is out of control. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and so anyway, so, um, 
it's a small part of the solution. I don't claim that we're going to change anything overnight, but, but um, I think having a group of people ready for action and ready is, uh, is, uh, is, is very helpful. And it, it definitely feels, it feels very good to, to, to meet people like that. I've met really wonderful people throughout our system um, for sure. Um, we have some great people. Well, I mean, that's awesome. Like, again, you know, that's kind of how like the ex-Muslim movements and stuff kind of started they're just little small groups and got bigger and bigger but yeah i mean things things will grow um well thank you very much for coming on cody it was great talking to you if you want to let people know where they can reach out to you or like your twitter handle or anything like that i'll put that in the link in the description okay yeah i'm not i i'm on twitter mostly as an observer um fire wrote a letter about our group in their news desk so if you just search california state university faculty at the fire the fire.org news desk it'll show it'll show you a link Okay, great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to send me any links, I'll put them in the description. Okay. All right, well, thank you again, and thanks, everyone, for listening.